Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Very happy to be with you again, and uh, thank you for tuning in with us. I always like to open the Bible and learn from uh, the love letter, as we want to call it sometime. And that love letter uh, is not always bringing up uh, just the nice things. We learn about some hardship and some difficulties in life. And after a couple of studies before crisis of identity, crisis of leadership, we are turning uh, today to study when your world is falling apart. I would like to introduce uh, our panel today, and I will welcome uh, Len. Good to have you with us, Len. Thank you, Dick, and hello, listeners. I hope you really enjoyed this study today. Thank you, Helen, for joining also. It's an absolute delight to be here, and it's a really interesting study. And Joe, good to have you with us. Thank you. Good to be here. Lija, also, it's uh, good to have you with us joining. Yes, pray the Lord for being here. I'm very happy. And Brenton, thank you for uh, coming along with us and uh, particularly preparing this study for today. I pray that uh, we'll be guided and led into lots of good understanding from this book of Isaiah. And thank you for joining us, uh, Brenton. It's a pleasure, Nick, and it's also a pleasure to be sharing God's Word with our listeners for today. And I believe the study for today does have application to each of us, and we're praying that uh, God will bless this study as we share it uh, with our listeners today. Thank you. And Brenton, it's over to you. Please take us through. Today's study is entitled, as someone has just mentioned, When Your World is Falling Apart. I would imagine that if we had time today and each of our listeners was able to ring in to um, share FaceTime or whatever it happens to be, most of us could identify a crisis or crises in our lives that um, perhaps at times have helped us to wonder, where are we going to go to? Who are we going to turn to? What can we do next? We seem to be surrounded by difficulties and we can't seem to get ahead of them at all. But before we go any further and have a look at the crisis situation that we're going to talk about today, I wonder, Joe, would you be able to uh, have prayer with us and pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us in our study? Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open and study your word again. Please be with us, enlighten our minds, rejuvenate our spiritual hearts, Lord, heal any brokenness or any, any heartache that our listeners or we might be encountering in our lives. Please be with all those who might be reaching out to you and guide us all into a closer walk with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Joe. As we start our study for today, I've uh, listed um, the crisis situation and I'll uh, share it with you because it's actually a very, very deep crisis. Ahaz is the king of Judah and he has come to the throne at the age of 20. He was invaded by Pekah, king of Israel, and Rezin, king of Syria. Just a brief word about these kings. Pekah was one of three kings that Israel had in ten years. They had three or four kings reign over a period of ten years, right at the end of, we would say, at the death, at the point when um, Israel was about to collapse, which it did in 722 B.C., This man is not one of God's appointed people. He slew the king before him and became king. And uh, in subsequent time, he was slain and somebody else became king. 
Rezin, king of Syria, uh, these people were normally enemies. And because of the threat posed by Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria, who had now decided that he was going to not only invade these countries, he was going to conquer them and uh, make them vassals of the Assyrian Empire. This is the situation we've got there. Now, Ahaz is a young man, and the intention of these two kings is to depose him and set up another king. And Isaiah 7, 6 mentions the son of Tabel. We don't know who the son of Tabel was, but probably an Assyrian who was possibly someone who'd be agreeable because Rezin and Pekah were opposed to Assyria, whereas Ahaz was not opposed to Assyria. And they felt that they needed his support in order to side with them against the threat posed by tiglath pileser this uh, Ahaz, unfortunately, was one of the worst kings that uh, Judah ever had. We do touch on that a little bit further on. But he lost 120,000 troops in a war against Pekah in one day. We haven't got time in our study this morning to have a look at where that's found in Scripture. But for those of you who may like to explore it, have a look in Second Kings or have a look in Second Chronicles, and you will find that he lost 120,000 troops in one day against this pecker. He also had 200,000 women and children taken captive to Samaria. And when he got there, a prophet by the name of Oded uh, said, you must not enslave your fellow Israelites, send them back. And uh, that is recorded in Second Chronicles 28, 9 to 15. He also lost one of his main seaports at Elath, which is, uh, we know it as and Geba. I'd been to Elath a couple of years ago. It was one of the major seaports that um, Judah had. That was now taken over by the Edomites. And he was hemmed in, it seems, on three sides, on the north, on the east, and the south. And they were all enemies. As I've touched on, he was only 20 years of age when he came to the throne. But it seems as though he did not acknowledge God. In fact, he was with a later king called Sennacherib, probably the worst king Judah ever had. That is recorded in Scripture, and for those of you who are Bible students, you can look these things up for yourself. One of the things he was guilty of was child sacrifice. It says he sacrificed his son in the fire, probably to the god Moloch. He constructed an idol similar to the god of Damascus because they had defeated him. He put that in the temple of the living God. He stripped much of the valuables from God's temple and sent them to Tiglath-Pileser as um, shall we say, a bribe, that he wouldn't uh, invade Judah and would stand with um, Ahaz against Rezin and Pekah. But by doing that, he was actually acknowledging that Tiglath-Pileser was the de facto ruler of Judah, not God. And um, the result in uh, Chronicles 28, verse 20 to 21, it says that Tiglath-Pileser was of no help to him, and uh, Judah has now actually become a vassal state of Assyria. I don't know how us as a panel and how our listeners would relate to being in a situation like this. Whichever way you turn, it seems as though there is no help, and yet there is. And our lesson is entitled, Who Can You Turn To and Who Can You Trust? The worst king of all, that was Manasseh. Yes. And uh, the difference here is there, of course, that Manasseh turned back to God. But I did notice, you know, in applying it to ourselves, you know, difficulties and struggles can devastate people as they can stimulate growth and maturity. And for Ahaz, deep troubles led to spiritual collapse. 
we don't need to respond like A has. And I think we need, we have a choice here. You know, when facing problems or tragedy, we must remember that rough times give us a chance to grow. And James 1, 2 to 4 shows us that. So when we're facing trials, we mustn't turn away from God. We need to turn to him. You know, these times could be opportunities for us to claim God's help. Yes. And thank you, Helen, for your comments. Len, I wondered if you could read Isaiah 7 verse 2. Let's get an idea of Ahaz's state of mind when he suddenly realises, or not suddenly, but when the full realisation of the threat that is posed to him uh, comes to him. And you find that in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 2. Thanks, Len. Um, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 2. I'll just put a little bit of setting. The Judites were being besieged by the Israelites. The Israelites couldn't overcome Jerusalem, so that particular battle stopped. But then Ahaz heard that they had uh, teamed up with somebody else and they, they were going to attack again. So the verse says, Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. They faced an absolute dire situation. Yes. The previous attack hadn't been successful, but now with much greater numbers and greater resources, it looks like Jerusalem and, of course, the Judites were going to be overcome. Well, the unfortunate thing was what, has did, and I'm not going to actually share that at this stage, but it certainly was not to turn to God. And as Christians, I believe that we need to turn to God when we're in a tricky situation, because God has a thousand ways where we think there's not even one yes. to solve these problems. So the people, including the king, has were terrified of the possible consequences. Yes, that's true, Len. Uh, I think one of the consequences would have been that if he was deposed, they probably would have executed him, and he was probably fearful of that as well. Uh, we learned that when news came to the courts of Judah that uh, Syria is allied with uh, Israel, it's interesting when you hear that the the enemies of your enemy, you know, they are allied against you. I think that's something to really to be bothered because yeah. when two enemies, they join together against you, definitely that's something uh, not right there, you know. Yeah. And this was the case. And if I, if I will uh, make an application today, we live in a very interesting times, uh, Brenton, uh, in Christendom. And that's what I like to see maybe from this Bible study today as we look back in history. Yes. How that can be applied and we not to be trapped in the same uh, situation and make the same mistakes like those people in the olden days. Because yes. we are facing a war today. May not be like... Uh, that war which we are going to talk about, uh, but we are definitely in the middle of a big, big conflict. And mm. I think it's very important to identify as we go, to identify the parallels, to identify the, the similarities. 
with us as Christians today and with God's people in the olden days? Yes, that's a good point, Nick. Um, Len, you had a thought for us? Yes, well, I think this particular study is very relevant to our particular times. Yes. COVID restrictions, people losing their jobs, their businesses, not able to pay their rent. It's a very dire situation that many people are in. There's a text in Psalm chapter 46, 1 that says this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Now, I don't think this was written by uh, some person who was thinking philosophical thoughts, sitting in his lounge room pondering life. I think this statement is by somebody who's been through the grist mill and came to this conclusion that other help is insufficient. God is all-sufficient. Yeah, thank you, Len. That's a very good thought. Nick, just harking back to what you said earlier on, one thing we need to be aware of that applied back then, and the same principle applies today, when two enemies join together, the reason they join together is generally because of the common cause. Mm. But remember in the first place they are enemies. So after that common cause has served its purpose, they're probably still enemies. They're going to go back to what they were before. Now, um, Tiglath Pileser took care of these guys. He cleaned Pekka up, and Pekka was assassinated, and he also killed, uh, it says, he executed Rezin, king of Syria. So um, these problems were taken care of. On the surface, you would say Ahaz made the wise decision in going to him for help, but that was the short-term consequence. The long-term consequence is an entirely different story. And there is another side to this. Why is he suffering these things? Because remember, Ahaz didn't put himself out there to get into trouble with these other guys. They invaded him, as Len read earlier on. And Joe is going to share with us in Second Chronicles 28, verse 19, a different approach. What does it say, Joe? Before I read that, Ahaz, to some degree, brought it on himself that Rezin and, um, and Pekka had, that Pekka had invited Ahaz to join a coalition to take on Tiglath, and he yeah. had declined. And yeah. so as retribution, they had uh, joined forces and come down hard on him. Not only that, but from the south, he was attacked as well. So, you know, there is a different side. You know, sometimes in life we experience hard times which are just cause and effect um, of living on this fallen planet, but sometimes the hardships and consequences consequences of our choices and um, in second chronicles 28 19 it says for lord for the lord brought judah low because of ahaz king of israel for he had encouraged moral decline in judah and had been continually unfaithful to the lord it's amazing isn't it his father had been faithful not a bad thing was said about jotham but here we have that he encouraged moral decline and had been continually unfaithful. And so the Lord was displeased. And it says the Lord brought Judah low. Who actually brought Judah low? Wasn't it Ahaz? It was Ahaz. Ahaz's actions that had displeased the Lord. And so the Lord allowed certain things to happen, to come um, along and, you know, as has already been said, they were shaking like leaves in a tree from the fear that, of what was, you know, 
Um, we know that in one of those conflicts, I think there were 120,000 soldiers that were wiped out. Um, I think Uzziah had a 300,000-man army going from memory. And, you know, this is quite a decimation, isn't it? And, you know, compare it in today's terms, I think the Australian army, now don't quote me on this, but I did look it up, and there's about 100 or just under 100,000 of active and reserve personnel. So this is a lot of people that were just wiped off. So I don't blame them for feeling terrified, but... We have to understand that God wasn't making these bad things happen. This was this was Tiglath Pileser was moving along, and and uh, there were a lot of there was quite a number of fronts on this war and this battle. And God was saying, "Look, as we probably come across, you have a choice. I could leave you to suffer the consequences, or I could help you. Your choice. Yes. You choose yes. Ahaz." That's a good thought, Joe. It's a very good thought, but. Going back to what you said, if Australia only had 100,000 both um, army people and reserves, imagine this. This, He lost 120,000 men in one day. That's the whole of the Australian army wiped out in one day. (laughs) In one day. Very quickly, a bit of background. Um, You know, God has plans with us all, and he had plans with his people in the olden days, with Israel. Yes. And Israel at uh, some point in time, because of personal personal interests, they split. And you may know the story and those people who, who know the Bible a bit, how, uh, you know, Israel split from the south to north. And uh, never they were able to really um, come together. And interesting enough that Israel, as was on the north, they start to have problems with the people from the north, you know? Yes, they did. They start to have problems. Now, to ally with those people, that's something amazing, you know, uh, because you are fighting against your brothers. And this is another thing which we need to probably touch on just briefly, that in the later days, in the time of the end, the fight will be, among family. The fight will be inside. The fight will be where God wanted those people to be united and proclaim the good news, the gospel of salvation for everyone. And this is the the most amazing thing, even learning today from this lesson of of, uh, uh, Israel. How could brothers be so enraged with each other to find help from the enemies? to be able to achieve their agenda. I think that's that's very uh, hard to take to heart. And even though we are going to face it again. Yeah. Nick, it's a, a very valid point. And Joe, thank you for your comments as well. There is an interesting side to this. When Israel split from Judah and um, became a separate kingdom, in other words, the 10 northern kingdoms, their first king was a king by the name of Jeroboam. Now, when Rehoboam wanted to invade them and take them back again, God told them not to. He said, this, this is from me. What's happening here is from me. But when you get down to Pekah, king of Israel, he simply assassinated the previous king and in turn was assassinated by his successor. And this sort of thing had been going on. Hosea rails against this and says that what's happening in Israel is not of God. 
In other words, the kingship, the line of kings in Israel was not sanctioned by God from Jeroboam onwards. None of them were sanctioned by God. And when you look at the 20 kings that reigned during the time that Israel was the separate kingdom from Judah and Benjamin, not one of them was a good king. Not one. They were all evil, the whole lot of them. And in Judah, God had said to Solomon and said to David, if you are faithful to me, the kingship will remain in your uh, line all the way through. And, of course, we know that Christ came through the line of David. So it's very significant that. But I just wanted to touch briefly on this business of punishment and discipline. I wondered aloud whether it could be both. Helen, I wonder if you could share with us something from Hebrews 12, verse 7 to 10, which I believe applies to us today, just as it applied when it was written, and perhaps comment on it. Thanks, Helen. Okay, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Hebrews 12, 7 to 10. It says here, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Wonderful words. Yeah, yeah, they are, you know. Yeah, I would actually, because, you know, when I, I was thinking through this one and I thought, who loves his child more? The father who, who allows the child to do what, whatever he wants and what will harm him, or the father who actually corrects, trains, and even punishes a child to help him? Mm. Who is right? Yes. Yeah, when you stop and think about that. And God in his love, you know, he He needs sometimes to correct us or send a prophet to correct us. It's never pleasant to be corrected and disciplined by God, but his discipline is actually a sign of his deep love for us. When you stop and think about it, when God corrects us, we need to see it as proof of his love and ask him what he is trying to teach us. Mm. You know, I, I, I look through my life and there's been some of the teachings that I haven't particularly liked, <laughs> some of the situations. But I praise God today that he's allowed these things to come into my life. Yes. Because through it all, my faith in God has, has strengthened amazingly, absolutely amazingly. What if Ahaz had submitted to God? What if he had have done what others had done, you know, and turned to God? And we'll look at that a little later. But, but immediately turned to God for counsel. Yes and obeyed him, what a difference it would have made, wouldn't it? Yeah. Think of all those people who were slaughtered and killed, you know, and all their families. That's a good point. I think there is um, a text also in um, Job where it says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Look, is there, is there a problem sometimes in overanalyzing things? I, I'm just asking, this is, um, could, could it be, that sometimes when God is trying to teach us a lesson and we don't really understand what that lesson is, our safest course of action, rather than overanalyzing it, is to simply trust him. Amen. Because sometimes you do not understand at the time that you're going through the problem what it is that God is trying to teach you. But after you've come out of the problem and maybe your um, mental picture or your spiritual perception is a little more balanced, 
Sometimes you can actually say, yes, I, I can understand now to a degree why God allowed that to happen. It was to strengthen my faith in him because Ahaz didn't learn this lesson. Reference to God disciplining those he loves. Yes. Basically everybody because he loves everybody. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of a tree. If a tree grows up without any wind, or any storms or anything like that. It tends to be very spindly and very straight. When a storm does come against a tree like that, it usually topples over. We should perhaps see the disciplines, the hardships that we have to endure from time to time as things that are strengthening us rather than weakening us, like a tree that has to withstand the wind grows strong. And that's what the Lord wants. We are admonished to be strong in the Lord so that um, when we go through some of these hardships, it strengthens us. God doesn't discipline us for our disadvantage. He disciplines us for our advantage. Mm. Yes, and uh, also I'd like to just add something there, Brenton. Yes, yes uh, by all means. Len mentioned there that uh, <laughs> God loves everybody. It's very interesting here because we, you just uh, mentioned that passage in, in the right. Bible which says that God disciplines uh, those who he loves. I will understand this a bit like, God loves everybody, but God loves those ones who accepted his love. And these people accepted God's love, but they found themselves uh, trapped in the common practice of all the nations around them. And this is again a lesson for us as Christians, how easy we can be trapped in the practices of people surrounding us, even those who may call themselves Christians. Yes, that's true. Even more, the practices of this world, which we can bring it in, bring it in. The, those ones, us who said that we love God and accepted the love of God. And no wonder when God is, you know, sad and upset and, you know, he wants to get us back on track. Yes, that's that's true, Nick. It's a good point. I think uh, Joe touched on earlier on, though, and so did some others, uh, that Ahaz basically was a bad king all the way through. Mm. He, he just didn't seem to um, take any notice of what God wanted him to do at all. It seems to me that the reason he didn't do this is because if he took notice of what God wanted him to do, then there comes into play accountability. He's accountable to God for what he actually does. Len, you had a comment for us. I think it's very important for us as a panel and for all of you listeners to realise that although we may have done that which is wrong and displeasing to the Lord, he still loves us. The story of Ahaz is a disappointing story, yet God still invited Ahaz to turn to him. Yes, he did. So I think none of us should think we have reached the point of no return. God is willing if we are willing. Thank you. Uh, Nick, I wonder if you could share with us some advice. God did give some advice through Isaiah. Now, remember Isaiah uh, went with his son, Shia Jashub was the name. And what does it mean? A remnant will return. Now, 
can you imagine, um, before you read the text, Nick, the situation? He's looking at his water supply and saying, we're going to be besieged. I need to do something about ensuring the enemy don't have access to any water. This is where God has told Isaiah and Shia Jashub to go and meet him. And he would know, Ahaz that is, he would know what the name Shia Jashub meant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, what has Ahaz done? He sacrificed his son in the fire, a child sacrifice, a human sacrifice. If you look at look at the the contrast between the two two men, now God is sending Isaiah along, and He says, "Look, I want you to give Ahaz a message." And the message is found on Isaiah seven four. Thanks, Nick. Brenton, as you just mentioned, there God is very particular here, telling His uh, prophet uh, Isaiah to take his son with him. Very interesting. Why? Why to take uh, yeah, why? his son? And uh, even, you know, to introduce his son to the king, which you, uh, you just said that the, his name was very meaningful, you know. Uh, and I'll just read verse 4. Yeah, thank you. It says here, tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned-out embers. And here he mentioned the king Raisin of Syria and Pekah, son of Remalia. Interesting enough, God says, don't worry about those two because uh, they are up to the end. <laughs> it just seems so wonderful of God to actually, we've got uh, um, Ahaz who is so stubbornly opposed disobedient, dis disregards all that God requires. And here we have a message from God comforting him, saying, yes. don't worry, these, these two are a spent force. You don't need to worry about them. Trust in me. Trust in God is inviting Ahaz to trust in him, perhaps for the first time in his life. And yet we know how that turns out, how he would rather reach out to Tiglath-Pileser. In fact, he may have already entered into discussion to form yeah. an alliance with him in order for Tiglath-Pileser to come in and help Ahaz against these two northern um, enemies. So I, I just think the beauty of God's character, you know, God does not want bad things to happen. He is going out of his way. He's saying, if you don't believe me, ask for a sign, anything, yes. up as high as the heaven, as low as Sheol, just ask. God is going that extra mile, if you like. And I think we can take great comfort from that because God deals with his children, whether they love him or not, in the same way, the compassion, the caring, mm. the love that we see here, God extends to all his children. And, and we need not worry that we may have been rejected by God or that we have may have done a lot of bad things in our lives and there's no way that, you know, God would be even interested in us. So I think we can take a lot of courage from these texts. I, I believe so, Joe. Just a thought, when you think on the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, what is the word that so frequently Christ said to his disciples? Don't be afraid. Mm. Trust me. When he was walking on the water, don't be afraid. It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. There seems to be a, a very definite, deliberate attempt by Jesus to say to people, stop stressing, stop worrying. Trust me, I'm here. I have the situation under control. Helen, you had a thought. 
Joe said, with the help of the Lord of Heaven, there was no need to fear. Exactly. And the reason was, as as it went on in that text, because of the two tails of the smoking firebrands. And you know, thinking about that, these were two separate tails. They were not whole firebrands, but small pieces or ends of them taken out of the fire in which there is more smoke than fire because God went on in those verses to explain a little bit more about them and, you know, why they didn't need to fear. And um, the kingdoms of Israel and Syria were but the smouldering, smoking remains of these firebrands. They'd almost burned themselves out, in other words. And one more flicker and they'd be gone. They have more of show and terror than of strength. And God foretold what their plans were and of their doom to Ahaz. But the king refused still to trust in God and consequently he gave way to despair and um, when confronted by circumstances with which he did not know how to cope. We ourselves are often confronted with circumstances that we don't know how to cope. But, you know, there are plenty of examples in the Bible of some wonderful people who the first time they're in the circumstances, they don't know what to do, they immediately drop down on their knees or they worship God. Job is a prime example of that. Yes. You look and study Job, you know. So I think there's good lessons here for us as well. I mean, here was God setting it all out. Like he has in the Bible for us, he's warning us, he's telling us what's happening in these last days. And, you know, we need to pay attention and yes. not fear because God is still in control. Yeah, we do. I wonder, um, Lydia, would you read a comment to us just briefly about what the stakes were in this crisis that we're discussing in our study today? So the stakes were staggeringly high. The Lord intervened in a Hayes situation. So the Lord sent Isaiah to intercept the king which in that moment, apparently he was inspecting Jerusalem's water supply in preparation for a siege. And God's plan was in order to persuade him not to contact the Assyrian leader. So as it was mentioned before, the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son. So the son's name was Shear Jashab. And when Isaiah introduced his son to Ahaz by his name, which in its uh, meaning, it, it was a remnant will return. So this will remind Ahaz that he has to return to God. He has to repent to God. So this carries the meaning of repentance. So the message from God to Ahaz was like, it means what you make it, it means. So turn from your sins and go to in captivity. And from captivity, a remnant will return. But the decision is yours. You have the free choice that I gave it to you. Now your decision is very important, but the only one who takes a decision is you. Yeah, good, good thought, um, Lydia. Uh, we're going to move on. Len, I have a couple of uh, comments that I'd like you to read. Yes, well, Jesus actually spoke about <laughs> what would happen to Christians, that uh, Christians would be persecuted. And we have an understanding that as the controversy with good and evil continues in the last days, it's going to become even more intense. The statement says this, In the last great conflict in the controversy with Satan, 
those who are loyal to God will see every earthly support cut off because they refuse to break God's law in obedience to earthly powers. We shall find that we must let loose of all hands except the hands of Jesus. So basically this statement is saying that the only help we will have will be the help of God. Everything else, family, friends, government support, etc., etc., may vanish, but we have God as our last and best resort. One little comment is that what Lija was mentioning about uh, uh, Isaiah bringing his uh, son there and God uh, bringing to the attention of the king that a remnant will return. Now, yeah. it's nice to talk about that God is appealing and approaching everyone. Yes. It's nice to talk about that and God does that. But in the end, even if we uh, like it or not, will be only a remnant who will stand for God, who will remain for God. And I think this is a very important application for today. Are we going to be part of that remnant? Are you, anyone who's, uh, who's listening? Because can easily we can easily go with the flow. We can easily go with the popular movement and powers in this time. We learn about the, the king of Assyria, you know, was very powerful, very popular. Uh, but in the end, God said, hey, only one remnant. Good point. Um, we're moving on. Um, we've touched on this in a fair de- degree of detail. We've read Isaiah 7 verse 4. But God, in not only giving counsel, this shows the love of God, as we have talked about as a panel earlier on. It demonstrates that God is seeking to woo. He's seeking to draw Ahaz to himself. He gives him counsel in verse 4, which we've touched on. But now we're looking at Isaiah 7 and verse 9. Joe, I wondered if you could just share with us, because wherever God gives counsel, he also points out the consequences if we don't follow that counsel. Thanks. Yes, um, yes, Brenton, absolutely. And so in Isaiah 7, 9... Uh, but just before that, he says, um, you know, he quotes what they might be thinking in, um, in re- you know, with Syria and Israel. And they're saying, Let, you know, let's us invite, invade Judah and tear it apart and so forth, so forth. And God says, it will not take place. It will not happen. Yes. Um, and then, of course, it goes on to nine and it says the last part of it, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And so this is from the NIV, and I think it puts it beautifully. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And I would like to contrast that to another king that um, we have probably read about at some point, the good king Jehoshaphat. And when he was was faced with similar sort of situation, because, you know, the, the Assyrians are always a bit of a problem, it says... Listen to me. This is him addressing the people. Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. Now, what a contrast. We have a choice, don't we? The valley of decision. We can choose to be faithless, to give way to doubt and discouragement, to uh, doubt God and his word, or we could hold on to our faith 
and be successful. God is giving us a choice here. And clearly, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great contrast to keep in mind. It's a, it's a, thank you, Joe. You've summarised that beautifully. Uh, Len, you had a comment and then uh, Helen. Painted on the wall of a building up in the old Germantown Handorf yeah. is this statement. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. So if you don't stand for something, it simply means you go with the flow. And wherever the popular opinion and popular movement takes you, that's where you'll go, whether it's right or wrong, good or bad. And I think this particular statement that Joe just read, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you'll not stand at all. And this is a call for not just Ahaz, but people of our own time who are Christians to stand for that which is right. The rewards are great. The punishment is also great. So this is an admonition for all of you listeners. If you believe that something is right, the principles are right, stand for it. Yes. Mm. Helen, you had a thought for us. I was just totally blown away by Jehoshaphat when I read all this and, and I thought, what an amazing prayer this man gave. And I, I know you want to do a comparison in a moment, but, you know, in thinking of Jehoshaphat and his his belief, I believe that, that he actually had several ingredients. When you go through his prayer and, and it's finished, his prayer, he, st- he committed the situation to God, did he not? Yes, he did, totally. Yeah. And he acknowledged that only God could save the nation. He sought God's favour because his people were God's people. He acknowledged God's sovereignty over the current situation. He praised God's glory, took comfort in his promises. He professed complete dependence on God, not himself, for deliverance. And, you know, I, I think today he was focused absolutely entirely on God's power rather than his own. I think there's a terribly good um, lesson for us right here in, in, in this passage. Absolutely, Helen. Lydia, you had a comment for us. Yes, for Ahaz was just a little thing for him to do, just to believe. In order to, t- to make the right decision, Ahaz needed just to trust the Lord and his promises and believe in order to be established. That's all, nothing else. But the problem is that Ahaz didn't choose God to be his guide, to be his leader, to be his counselor. He turned away from God and in his heart, because he'd done so many admonitions before and he worshipped other gods, the real God, the true God meant nothing to him. And because of that, uh, he chose his own fall. And, and the nation. Yeah, that's a good thought, um, Lydia. Ahaz says in verse 12, I will not test the Lord, I will not do this. Now, one reading of that could be that uh, he's being respectful, but I don't believe that is the case. I believe that he's really saying, I'm not going to um, do what God has asked me to do. However, when we come down to verse 14, God says, well, if you're not going to ask me for a sign, I'm going to give you one anyway. Lydia, would you be able to read verse 14 of chapter 7? I'm really. I would like to say something else before that. Yes, yes, I would like to say God intervened so many times in this situation. God didn't turn around, He didn't turn His face from, from this situation. And God intervenes again. 
to Ahaz in verse 11, and it says, Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, and it said to him, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. So this is another invitation to faith. But Ahaz said, he took his decision, his own decision again, and he said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to to the test. And in verse 13, it says, Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. It is not enough to try the patience of men. We will try the patience of my God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So this is the sign that the Lord opens up to Ahaz because Ahaz never believed into the return of a remnant. So God opens heaven to him and shows him that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Yeah, thank you, Lydia. Uh, That's very important. God is now stepping into the picture, isn't he? He's basically taking uh, the reins in his own hands and saying, okay, I will give you a sign. But verse 13 I find particularly interesting. Um, It seems to suggest that he had basically almost wearied God's patience out. Why did he keep going on this stubborn path? I I ask myself the question, why, why, why did he do this? In verse 12, you know, the king actually refused. He said, no, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. He almost sounded very pious when you think about that, didn't he? Or or appearing righteous, you know, um, he wouldn't test them. But in fact, God had told him to ask. I think that was a key word. He said, ask, you know, and, you know, he just, he just, just overlooked the whole thing. Ahaz didn't really want to know what God would say. And often we use some excuse also, such as not wanting to bother God, or blaming some theological question that concerns us to keep us from communicating with him. And I just want to quickly say I did that to God many years ago when I had a phone call to come. I was living in Queensland to come down to Adelaide, and I said no. Without thinking about it, without praying, I just said no. And then um, a week later the phone call came again, want you to come to Adelaide, and I said no. And um, I felt I had a lot of excuses, you know, I've settled where I was and what have you. And when my father overheard me, and my father wasn't um, of the same belief as me, but he came to me, he said, you seem to be in a bit of bother. And I said, well, so-and-so, you know, just kept calling me to come to Adelaide. And Dad's, my father's answer was quite amazing. He just turned to me and he said, have you prayed about it? And I said, no. He said, why not? I said, because I don't want to go to Adelaide. (laughs) And he said, I think you need to pray about it. And I did. And I actually did a Gideon sign, if you believe. And um, I I was absolutely positive that's where God wanted me to be. And here I've been ever since. But it's just been, you know, I was rebelling because I didn't want to do it. And I I knew in my heart if I asked God what he was going to say. So I didn't want to hear it. And I think Ahaz was doing the same thing here. I think he might have been, Helen. Lydia, you had a comment for us. So to ask, to answer to your question, why did he, why did Ahaz chose this way? The only answer is that he effectively refused the divine offer. He rejected the Lord from being his own God. So the Lord was the God of Isaiah, but not 
the God of Ahaz. So he barred and bolted the door of his heart to shut uh, out he, the the faith, the his faith. Actually, Ahaz was didn't live with God. He didn't have an, any relationship with, with the real God, the true God. That's, so what that's, I said before, he worshipped other gods. And because of that, he refused because he didn't believe in the real God, in the true God. So because of that, he refused. And this is a lesson for us. We have, by having a stronger relationship with God and knowing him, that gives us the assurance of choosing God's offers, God's choice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and Brendan probably just a uh, quick application here. Yeah, we may time, eh? we may yeah. stay in these times. Yes. The phrase Ahaz may have a form of religion, but denies its power yeah, yeah, because he knew <laughs> he knew that in the past there were people asking for a sign, and God was not happy, and he was now playing on that thinking that, okay, I'm, I'm not going to... But the difference was that this time God asked him, you know, to, to choose. Yes, yes. Not that man was choosing against what God wanted. And this is the difference. Sometimes we may still play out as a religious and pious mm. person, but denying its power, you yes, know. Thank you. Len, I, I, could you just read Second Kings 16, verse 3, because this summarises basically what we've said in the last couple of minutes, which is a very sad epitaph, if you will, to this um, experience we're studying about today. Can I just jump in, Len, before you do that, please? Just want to say two things, and that is it was interesting how Isaiah absolutely knew that Ahab was right off the, the beam because in, in his statement to him, Isaiah said, my God, my God. My but God. When he mentioned Ahaz, he said, your God. Your God. That's right. Yeah. That, that is a very, very, thank you for bringing that out, Helen. Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you, Len. All right. Well, this see, is a very sad epitaph almost. <laughs> yes, it is. We kind of dealt with this at the past. But Second Kings, or the books of Kings, are about the kings of Israel and Judah. And 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 3, talking about Ahaz, says he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, that the bad kings, and even sacrificed his son in the fire, following the detestable ways of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. His is a sad story because he was disobedient to God. He never accepted God into his life. He didn't even respond to the invitations. Now, I said before that God loves everybody, but God cannot bless everybody because if we're opposing the things of God, then he can't bless us. Yes. And uh, on the other hand, Jesus in talking about love, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Love also entails obedience. We must obey if we love. Thank you. Um, in summary, Helen, I think we'll, um, we've touched on Isaiah 7.13 a bit, I, I think, so we'll um, move on from that point. The sad, if you, were, if you will, the sad result of Ahaz, we know what that result was, but um, Jesus unfortunately said something very similar 
in Matthew 23:38 to a group of people known as the Pharisees, his own people. Nick, I wondered if you would share that verse with us, and then we will summarize. Matthew 23, verse 38. Thanks, Nick. I'm reading from uh, New Living Translation, and it says, And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. Who, whose house? Your house. Mm. Not, not my house any longer, your house. Helen, you touched on this earlier on, when in verse 13 of chapter 7 of Isaiah, where he said, Are you going to weary my God? Mm. There's, there's a very strong lesson in here, I think, for all of us. I, I find this, it's, it's a sad lesson, and yet it offers hope. Um, in summary, I've simply written this. In summary, in what ways has God demonstrated his love for Ahaz and his desire to save Judah? We've touched on that. Is there a difference between God's methods of delivering and Satan's control of human affairs? How did Isaiah feel after this confrontation with Ahaz? Exasperated? Despondent? How is it with us? God wants us to wants to save us and redeem us and lead us by the hand if we are willing. Do our children sometimes show us how God tries to woo us to himself? Who can we trust? I just want to draw a parallel here, which you may or may not have thought of. You think about Judas in the, the New Testament. Think about Ahaz. Ahaz was like a Judas of the Old Testament, when you think about it, you know, if that conception of Judas's character be the right one, which makes his willful desire to bring about the kingdom of God in his own violent fashion, the motive yeah. of his betrayal of Jesus, of his own stubbornness, Ahaz has betrayed the Messiah and deliverer of his people. The assurance of the betrayal is a sign of his stubbornness, a signal and terrible proof of his irretrievable sin in calling upon the Assyrians. The king had been found wanting so was Judas. Yeah, so I see Judas, the you know, of the New Testament. I see Ahaz, the Judas of the Old. Yeah, good point. Len? Very quickly. <laughs> Ahaz was a leader of the people. He won't go down in history as a good leader no. because he led the people into sin, and that is an indictment against him. Yes, true. Joe, um, I want to finish this on a positive note because I believe that there was still hope and I believe that uh, there is a text found or texts found in the book of Proverbs that we can apply in 2021. We're starting a new year and we still have COVID-19 with us. We still have uncertainty. I wonder what um, promises from God's word we can apply to our lives that will give us comfort and assurance uh, for 2021. Thanks, Joe. if you would share those texts with us. Yes, uh, Brenton, I think verses 1 to 6 are beautiful. I actually could read the whole chapter. We won't. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. And here is it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Aren't they beautiful words to, to contemplate in light of this lesson in the study that we did today? It's a wonderful promise, Joe. a wonderful promise. Helen, I wonder if you would close with prayer for us, please. Happy to. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, 
we just thank you, Lord, that what we're learning through today, that you you often permit trials to to come upon your people, that by the by our our um, obedience, Father, the trials themselves may may be spiritually enriched in our lives. They may be such that it will be an example to other people on on how we deal with all these circumstances and trials. And we can show them our strength comes from you. The very trials, Lord, that you, you send us or allow us to go through, they make it seem that perhaps sometimes that you've forsaken us. But I know that often they lead us closer to you. Yes. And may we lay all our burdens at your feet and experience that peace which only you can give in exchange for that. And, Lord, I am remembered, reminded of a text in Jeremiah 29.11 which says that I know the plans I have for you, said the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Oh, Lord, we need that so badly. We need a future. We need a hope. And help us not to walk on the paths of the wicked or to stand in the um, way of the scoffers, or to sit in the seat of the scornful. Help us, dear Lord, that we will focus fully on you from this moment onward, that we will trust your promises where you said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Dear Lord, may we have learnt lessons today, but may each one of us give our hearts completely to you to surrender all. I pray in the loving name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you everyone for uh, your participation today and um, even though we look into history and learn some lessons there and if we haven't learned any lesson, we still need to maybe learn the hard way. I'm inviting you for next study which will be entitled uh, The Hard Way. Until then, may God richly bless you and uh, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.